Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Psalm 145. We've been, uh, the last several weeks now, we've been in a deep dive uh, of Psalm 100, 145. We've been going verse by verse through this psalm and, and seeing some incredible truth that God has for us as his children, some, some characteristics that he tells us about God uh, that David gives us in this psalm. And Psalm 145, uh, we've said, is David's favorite psalm. It's the only psalm in all of the scriptures that is titled David's Psalm of Praise. No other psalm is, is titled that, and so many theologians believe that this is the psalm that David wrote to praise God and to worship God, and it's the psalm that David would go back to time and time again when he's burdened down, when he's downtrodden, and he's, he's got trials and tribulations, or when he just wants to thank God for his goodness. He would go back to this psalm and recite it over and over and over. And so last week we began looking at verses 8 and 9. And we only really scratched the surface about the truth about God that we found in these two verses. And today, we're going to continue studying these two verses, Psalm 8, uh, 145, verses 8 and 9. And we're going to reveal some more truth about God through his name that is found in these verses. But as we've been going through this psalm, we've been challenging you every week to memorize Psalm 145. How many of y'all are still memorizing Psalm 145 with us? You're still on the journey. All right. Not as many as have been, but more than I hope. So thank you for that. Uh, now, you should have memorized last week verses 8 and 9. So how many of y'all are ready to quote Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9 this morning? Just me, okay? Try to go along with us, all right? The Lord, it starts with 8 9, it starts with the Lord. Both of them start with 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. I'm cheating. They have it on the back, on the back wall there. The, the, oh, they just took it away. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all his works. I probably didn't get the last part of it exactly right. But the point of this memorization is not to get it word for word perfect. To make sure that, oh, because I'll be honest with you, some of these verses, uh, like uh, seven, 6 and 7, there's, I get confused, is, is it his mercy or his forgiveness or what's going on? And so it's very confusing sometimes. So the point isn't to get it word for word perfect. The point is to hide the truth of the word of God in your heart. We, as God's children, we need God's word hidden in our hearts so that throughout the day, when troubles come, 
When temptations come, when we're burdened down, we have God's Word hidden in our heart and we can go to that and pull it out and remember these truths about God. Now, for those of us who weren't able to quote it, we're going to put it up on the screen, but I still want us to read it together this morning. So Psalms 145, verses 8 and 9, let's read it together. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. So last week... We spent the entire sermon looking at the phrase, the Lord is gracious. And that's as far as we got. Because we spent a lot of time on those first two words, the Lord. Anybody remember what the Lord really means? What L-O-R-D is, Connor? It's Yahweh. When you go to the, when you're reading the scriptures, you see Lord in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the name of God. It is Yahweh. And Yahweh tells us a lot about the character of God. First of all, Yahweh speaks to the eternal nature of God. We said that God is. God just is. God is eternal. Yahweh comes from the, the root word, Yaha. Remember Moses, Yaha, Yaha, saying I am, I am. And so Yahweh comes from the word Yaha, which has, uh, just means I always have been. So God, Yahweh speaks of his eternal being. God just is. We also saw that God is unchanging again. That comes out of the same name, Yahweh. Since God always is, God is always changing. God is always who God says he is. God never changes. God is the same today as he was long before he ever said, let there be anything. God is, and God is unchanging. Then we saw that God is gracious, and this is mostly seen in salvation. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. We don't deserve salvation. We didn't earn it, and we can't earn it, but God, in his grace, Gave it to us. So as we finish up these verses, we're going to continue to ask the same question. What do these verses tell me about God? Well, this morning, the first thing it tells us is, number one, God is the wrong verse up there. What happened? All right. Somehow, this got messed up. All right. We're just going to look at the verse forever. I'll tell you what it means. God is merciful. God is merciful. So when you see that preacher, look again at verse number 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. That, that phrase, full of compassion, is the Hebrew word rahum. It means merciful and compassionate. It indicates a compassionate and a forgiving character. This Hebrew word, rahum, is only used to describe God in the Old Testament, except in one instance. In one instance, it's used to describe a human. That's found in Psalm 112, where it says, Under the upright ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion 
and righteous. So in Psalms 112, it is talking about the person who fears God, who has an awe of God, who is walking with God. It tells us that this demonstration of mercy, this demonstration of who God is, the only time it is seen in us is to the degree that we allow God to demonstrate his mercy in and through us. The point of this word is to show us that because God is merciful, God forgives us. That's good right there. Aren't you glad for God's forgiveness? Aren't you thankful that God forgives you? I don't think many of you are. You're not excited about that. Let's try it again. Are you excited that God forgives you? God's forgiveness is incredible. See, David was excited and thankful for God's forgiveness. David was not a perfect man. You know, we know the great stories about David, David and Goliath, David and him being the king of Israel. David is a man after God's own heart. But David had some pretty big failures. Of course, David and Bathsheba. We all know that story. He took another man's wife and laid with her and she got pregnant. And then to cover it up, he, he ended up murdering her husband and taking her as his wife and telling everybody, oh, it's just a preemie baby, but, but God knew. We know David, in the book of Kings, he counted the people when God told him not to, not trusting God that he had enough people to do what God wanted to do. And so because of David's sin, many people died. David had a lot of mistakes. David was not a perfect guy. But when David messed up, David responded correctly. And David got forgiveness. And David was thankful for God's forgiveness. He enjoyed the forgiveness of God. He says in Psalms 32, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. David is reflecting on his own experience with God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And he uses several words to describe the mercy of God. He says that we have sin, we have iniquity, we have transgression. And he uses those to describe the times that we have violated God's law. We have stepped across God's boundary. And David had done that time and time and time again. And look, before we get too high and mighty, all of us have too. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you grew up, what your family was like. I don't care how long you've been a church member or how long you've been. Every single one of us have violated God's law. We were born sinners. There's nothing we could do about it. But David had experienced the word of God, the forgiveness of God. And he was so excited that he, he, about the forgiveness of God that he said God had forgiven him. Now, the Hebrew word forgiven literally means to pick up and carry away. God had picked up David's sins and carried them away from him. What David is saying is, I am so thrilled that God has reached into my life He's taken all my sin. He's taken all my transgression. He's taken all my iniquity. And he's lifted it off of me 
and carried it away. How do we know that this has happened? Hebrews 9.22 tells us that almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word remission there is the Greek word aphasis, and it means forgiveness or pardon of sins. It means to be released from bondage or imprisonment. That means if we really got what we deserve, we have all sinned against God, and if we all got what we deserve, we would die for our sins. Not just a physical death, but also a spiritual death. That's why Romans says, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you deserve. Because of our sin, because we're all born sinners, because we've all transgressed God's law, because we've all violated his scripture, his perfect requirement, because of that, we deserve death. And it's not just a physical death, but it's a spiritual death. Say, what is spiritual death? Spiritual death means that we are dead to God, we are separated from Him, we have no relationship with God. But it's also a physical death. You know, physical death was not part of God's original plan. That's how He told Adam and Eve, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Because sin always brings death. But it's worse than that. It's not just a spiritual death being separated from God. It's not just a physical death, having your your body get sick and die and stop working, but it's also an eternal death. If we got what we deserved, we would die physically, and we would die spiritually for all of eternity. That means if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would be cast out of the presence of God into a literal place called hell. That's what we deserve. That's our wage. We deserve that. But God is merciful. And his mercy means that God always withholds from us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve and what we cannot earn. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve and what we have earned because of our sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn over in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to look at this this morning. It's what will be on the screen, but it's not on the screen, so turn your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. Everybody turn there. Not enough of you turning there. Turn there. I don't hear pages, and I don't hear clicking. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. Are you there? Say amen. 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 All right. Starting at verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let me ask you a quick question. What can a dead person do for themselves? Nothing. Dead person can't do anything for themselves. Can't help themselves, can't feed themselves. They don't need to eat anyway, but they can't even put the makeup on themselves to go to the grave. There's nothing they can do. A dead person can do nothing for themselves. Why? Because they're dead. And Paul says, you, because of your sin, were dead, spiritually speaking. So spiritually speaking, what can you do for yourself? Nothing, because you're dead. Continue on, it says, Wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also 
We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He is describing what you used to be. He said, before Christ, you were dead, you were an enemy of God, you obeyed your flesh, you did what you wanted to do, you didn't care about God. You were separated from God. You were an enemy from God. (coughs) We were hopeless and helpless. We deserved the wrath of God. We deserved the punishment of God, the judgment of God. But the next two words are some of the greatest words in the Bible. Look at them. It says what? But God. I was dead. I was an enemy. I was doomed. But God. But God, who is rich in what? What's he rich in? Mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive again, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. How did that happen? Remember what Hebrew says? How did, how did God give us this, this forgiveness and show us this mercy? Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, who was God in the flesh, God took on humanity, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. Jesus did what you could never do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He never one time sinned against God. Did y'all find it? Okay, all right. That's right. I did put the three original points on there first. My bad. I'm stupid. Forgive me. See, be merciful. Forgive me. All right. So, where was I? Jesus. Yeah, took off. Okay. Jesus was a virgin. He lived a, he perfectly fulfilled the law. He never sinned one time. He was perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. And on the cross... He offered his life, his blood, in our place. He died for for us. So when Jesus was on the cross, and he he was bleeding, and he was beaten, and he was bruised, God took our sins. He lifted our sins off of us and put them on Jesus, the holy, sinless Son of God. And on the cross, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, died in our place. He shed his blood. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid that wage for us. But he didn't stay dead. He was buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the grave, proving to everyone he was God, showing everyone his sacrifice had been accepted, and redeeming us to God the Father. Jesus took took our sins and he gave us his righteousness. God took my sin and carried it and put it on Christ. And now I can put my faith and my trust in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus because he took my sins and he gives me his righteousness. Did I deserve that? No. No one did. But that's grace. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us. I deserve eternal death, but God didn't give me that. He gives me eternal life when I put my faith in him 
That's mercy. Through God's grace and God's mercy, we are forgiven. And now I am in Christ. Say, what does that mean? All right. If I was standing here this morning in a black plastic bag, what would you see? An idiot, yes. If I was standing here and I had a black plastic trash bag on, what would you see? A a black plastic trash bag, right? Because I am in, or I would be in, a black plastic trash bag. So if I'm standing here in Christ, what are you supposed to see? Supposed to see Christ. Do you? No. The answer to that question is no, you don't. More and more of them every day, but not enough of them. And if you're in Christ, I'm supposed to see Christ in you. Do I see Christ in y'all? Let's move on. (laughs) So because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all my sin has been carried away and put on him, and now I am in Christ. What that means, though, is when God sees me, he doesn't see me as a sinner trying to do good. He doesn't see me as a sinner who is forgiven. He sees me as Christ. He sees me as righteous. That is a gift of mercy and the gift of grace that God has given us. In mercy, Christ took my sin. In grace, I have been given his righteousness. Here's what Clyde Cranford said. He said, mercy and grace are the opposite sides of the same coin. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. We deserve condemnation and wrath. We deserve hell. But instead, we are forgiven forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life. God is merciful. But there's more. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. Look at it again. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Slow to anger. Slow to anger is a a Hebrew phrase that means to be drawn out a long way. It means God doesn't have a temper problem. God doesn't have a short fuse. God is patient with us. He is always patient toward us. And that's encouraging because we know that he is as patient today as he's ever going to be because God is unchanging. He's as patient today as he's ever going to be. If we're honest, every one of us would agree, spiritually speaking, we have probably blown it way more times than we got it right. We've messed up way more times than we've done what we ought to do for God. We've ignored him. We've rejected him. We've gone against him way more than we've said, Lord, here am I, send me, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. We have blown it more than we've gotten it right. So in our minds, we're wondering why God hasn't said, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm tired of you. How many of you, let's be honest here. We're at church. We're believers. We should be honest. I'll be honest. How many of y'all, either now or sometime in your life, I'll give you an out here, sometime in the past, have gone to God for forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over and over again? Some of you are honest, some of you are not. We've all got them. And we think, if I was God and God came to me and I came to me for the 30,000th time saying, I'm sorry I did that, I'd say, you know what? I don't believe you. Enough's enough. I'm tired of you. But God doesn't do that. God is patient. 
God is slow to anger. We think that God would, would be done with us, but he didn't do that to the Israelites in the Old Testament. I mean, read the Old Testament. The Israelites blew it over and over and over and over again. And did God send judgment? Did God send punishment? Yeah, God sent punishment to bring them back. But when they came back and saw forgiveness, God always forgave them. Why? Because he is slow to anger. He is patient. It is who he is. So for God not slow to anger means that he wouldn't be God. Being slow to anger isn't something he does. He's not in the corner counting to ten before he blows his top. Being slow to anger is part of his character. The New Testament gives us some insight into why. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is what the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind through the work of the Holy Spirit that produces a change in how I live my life. It is turning from my sin and turning to God. And God is patient because God has made us to know him, to love him, and to be known and loved by him. God created us to be in fellowship with him, so in mercy and grace, he is patiently waiting for us to come to repentance. If you're here this morning and you do not know God, you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, he is waiting patiently for you to repent and be saved. But maybe you're here this morning, you are saved but you're not living in fellowship with God. Sin has separated you from God. You are not walking with him. Well, there's good news for you too. God is patient with you, waiting on you to come back to him. Here's the thing. Repentance and the life of believers is not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime, lifestyle that we live of repenting and turning back to God. If you're a child of God, not living for God, God wants you to return to him, Romans 8, 2, 4. Says, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and for suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Look, we think we we because we do this with our kids. We think if we mess up, God's going to punish us, and His punishment is meant to bring us back. The Bible says that God's patience is what brings us back to repentance. When we sin and God doesn't strike us dead with lightning, that's supposed to make us go. Man, God sure is loving and forgiving. I think I'm going to confess my sin and get back with him. God's patience, God's grace, and God's mercy show us the love of God, and the love of God brings us to a place of repentance. God is slow to anger, but he isn't refusing to get angry. Don't sit there and think, oh, a preacher just said, I can live my life how I want to, I can sin any way I want to, and God will never punish me. Oh, no, no, no. You can come to the end of God's patience. You can get to the point where God said, I've I've shown you mercy. I've shown you grace. I've shown you love. I've been patient to bring you back. But you refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit conviction. You refuse to listen to the still small voice calling you back. So then God does send punishment to us. Now, when, when does the patience of God run out? I don't know. I wouldn't want to test it. But I don't know. 
But the Bible does say in Numbers 32, be sure your sin will find you out. If you're living in sin and God's been patient, God's been gracious, God's been merciful, and you've spat on God's graciousness and forgiveness and patience, God says eventually it's going to come out what you're doing. You can't hide from God, and God says your sin will find you out. God will show you patience and love to bring you back, but if that doesn't work, God will expose your sin to bring you back. But he does it out of love. He does it out of patience. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. Here's the third thing. God is great in loving kindness. Look at verse number uh, 8 again. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. Mercy is the Hebrew word hesed. It means goodness or loving kindness or unfailing love. This is a loyal love. It describes a devotion that is rooted in an existing relationship. The best way to describe this word, hashed, is the word faithful. We just use that word describing ourselves. Man, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to God, but God is faithful to you. No matter what you have done in your life, God's love for you has not changed. He always has loved you, and he always will love you. How can we know that? Because God is God, and God is unchanging, and one unchanging characteristic is his unfailing, unchanging love for us. Clyde Cranford describes the love of God this way. He says, our security rests not in our ability to hold on to him, but in his ability to hold on to us. If I'm walking down the street with a small child, Connor, come here. I was going to use Raylan, but he's asleep on me now. A lot like his mama there. Come here. Hold my finger. Get. Sheesh, I thought he was railing for this. All right, we're walking down the street. Connor's holding on to me. He sees something shining in the street and he wants to go get it. Go get it. Oh. He's holding on to me. I can't get it. Get it back here. All right, Connor. This is why I wanted railing. Come back. Come back. Come back. So he's holding on to me. His security is based on his ability to hold on to me and he can let go. Give me here. But I'm holding on to him. Come on. We're walking down the street. He sees something shiny. Try to go get it. Go. Go. His security is based on me holding on to him. And I'm a lot stronger than him. So he can't get away. God is holding on to you. You can let go. But guess what? God's still holding you. Your security is based on his ability to hold you. As we sit here, our security is not determined by your ability to hold on to him, but his ability to hold on to you. He is great in loving kindness. Look at what Lamentation says. It says, it is of the Lord's mercy. 
word mercies is the same word used in Psalm 145 to describe loving kindness. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's loving kindness never ceases. His love, his devotion, his loyalty to you has never changed. His loving kindnesses are new to you every morning, which means you woke up this morning, guess what? You had a brand new dose of the loving kindness of God. You're going to wake up tomorrow, guess what? You're going to have a brand new dose of the loving kindness of God, and you will never run out of it. Mark Jones says this. says, God's faithfulness toward us uh, springs forth from his faithfulness to himself. When he speaks a promise to us, his character is on the line. To break a promise would be to deny himself. That is why Paul said, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. If God ever broke a promise to you, he wouldn't be God. He cannot not keep his word. God is always faithful, even when I am unfaithful, because God is great and loving kindness. Here's the last thing. God is good to all. Look at verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. See, the things that we saw in verse 8, they are specifically addressed to God's children. Have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but this one includes everybody. Yahweh is good to all. All in the Hebrew word means the entire creation, but all also each individual person. Every all of humanity enjoys the goodness of God. Look what J.I. Packer said about this verse. He said the psalmist's point is that since God controls all that happens in this world, every meal. Every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, everything else that sustains and enriches life is a divine gift of God's goodness. Here's what, let's describe this. How many of y'all, since you've been a believer, have flown on an airplane that did not crash? Okay. How many of y'all think on that airplane there were some non-believers? Plane didn't crash. That's God's goodness, isn't it? They got it too, didn't they? God's good to all. It rains on the just and the unjust. When, when it's good weather, the, the, the sinner enjoys it just as much as the saint. God is good to all his creation. So whether or not you are a follower of Jesus, you woke up enjoying the goodness of God. Every life, every breath, every safety you enjoy is the goodness of God. So as long as there is breath in your body, you enjoy the goodness of God because God is good to all. Say, so how does that help us? Okay, heaven is enjoying the presence and the goodness of God for all of eternity. But heaven is not the only eternal destination in the Bible. There's hell. There's a place where you're separated from the presence and the goodness of God. The same book that says God is merciful The same book that says God is slow to anger. The same book that says God is full of loving kindness. And the same book that says God is good to all says there's a heaven, but also says that there is a hell. You cannot take out the parts you don't like. 
You have to take all the Bible. Hell is a place of the absence of the presence and the goodness of God for all of eternity. That's why God's good to people on earth because that if you're not saved and you die unsaved, that's the only goodness of God you're ever going to get. If you die in your sins, the only goodness of God you got to enjoy was what you enjoyed on earth. If you are unsaved, you are enjoying God's goodness from, of God today. But when you die, you will spend eternity out of his goodness. That's why Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. God is near today. God can be found today. Today is a day to respond to the goodness of God and salvation. Today is the best day you will ever experience because God is as ready to save you today as he has ever been and he ever will be. God is. God is unchanging. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God is full of loving kindness and God is good to all. If you have never experienced the mercy and grace of God and salvation, do not wait another day. Today is the day. We can show you from Scripture how you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and have Him take your sins and give you the righteousness of God. And if you're here this morning, you are saved. Maybe just come forward and thank God for being God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.